Coach Paul Christ. I'm talking to you. I am a huge crew neck fan. Crew necks are my favorite thing to wear. I get the same vibe from you, and I would love to talk crew necks with you on my show. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. All right, it's Thursday. We've made it this long. Enough messing around. I'm, I'm serious today. I'm not messing around today. Let's do this. Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Battle of the Bays, comprehensive preview right now. I'm, do- I'm done messing around. A couple days away from the game. Let's do this. Every detail, every matchup, every storyline, every narrative, every stat, every little piece of this game. I'm not messing around today. Full preview. Finally. We've waited all week. We're making small talk over the bye. We're talking about COVID and talking about college football and the Brewers payroll. And yeah, that's all great. You know what? Let's get down to brass tacks. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Buccaneers, Packers, full preview. Two straight hours. Well, almost two. Most of two straight hours. I want to cover every little detail today. I, I didn't come to play games today. We have serious work to do. We have a lot of we have a lot of previewing to do today. This is not a, this is not going to be a fun show. We're gonna we're gonna talk business and only business for the next two hours. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Happy Thursday. We are oh so close to the weekend. Actually, I consider the weekend starting tonight. There's no football, so I mean, if you want to commit some time to drinking beer and doing weekend stuff tonight, you, you don't, you're not obligated to watch a football game. So by all means, let's get the weekend started. 24 hours early. I'm glad you've tuned in. I'm glad you're here. We are going to have a lot of fun today. I know I, know I give a very serious uh, vibe, uh, and most of that is sarcastic. We actually haven't done much previewing of this Tampa Bay Packers game so far. It's mostly been talking about Seattle and the Saints and, and the other NFC teams that we believe to be contenders, right? And I've said all week long, I think the Packers are better than all these teams. Well, let's quit worrying about all the other teams, and let's worry about the one team that matters, at least right now, That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the opponent coming up this weekend. So I want to spend a lot of the show today previewing this game, talking about some of the key injuries, some of the key matchups. We're going to hear from Devontae Adams. We expect he's going to return to the field. He had some interesting things to say yesterday. We'll hear from him. And he gave some really good comments around the rest of the offense as well. The other players, the running backs, the tight ends, the motion that's being used before the snap that's been oh so effective for the Packers. So we'll hear from him coming up at 430. And our friend Colton Bartholomew is so gracious And so forgiving that after yesterday's technical difficulties, he's willing to come back and talk to us again today at 530, not only because he's an outstanding reporter, but because he's an outstanding man. So I can't wait to hear from him. We'll talk Badgers and pick up our conversation that just barely had a chance to get started yesterday. And then we were rudely interrupted by some technical difficulties. He'll be back at 530 and we can actually have a full conversation. I'm looking forward to that. If you want to send me your thoughts, argue, agree, whatever, tweet at me at Wisco Grant. You can also text the show at 608-796-2558 on the talk and text line. Okay, enough messing around. Let's get down to business. I think the most obvious, most intriguing part of this game is the Aaron Rodgers-Tom Brady matchup. Not because those two are actually going to be directly playing against each other. As Rodgers said last week, he's playing against Tampa Bay's defense, Brady playing against Green Bay's defense. So it's not like a direct matchup. It's not boxing. Right, It's not basketball. It, it's not the Rodgers-Brady matchup that is intriguing in and of itself. It's just we haven't gotten to watch these two quarterbacks play in the same game very many times. And, well, 
to you know to be very frank, we haven't got to see most elite quarterbacks match up with Tom Brady in the last decade because he played in a garbage division and by and large in a garbage conference as far as quarterback play goes as well. We got to watch him play Peyton Manning for a long time, and Peyton Manning was the better quarterback for a long time. We got to see him play Big Ben a couple of times, but I that that ain't selling tickets. I I never felt as though I needed to sprint to my TV to watch Tom Brady play Ben Roethlisberger. Like, that that never really did it for me. In the AFC, there's not a lot of big-name quarterbacks, or there hasn't been big-name quarterbacks, even on the best teams, like the Ravens. Well, they had Joe Flacco. That's not that's not prime time, right? At one point, he was playing Mark Sanchez. Like, we don't get to see superstar quarterbacks match up with Tom Brady very often, which is why it's so awesome, even in his advanced age right now, he's in the NFC, where there's some bigger-name quarterbacks, some more intriguing matchups. Rodgers and Brady have only matched up a couple of times. These matchups have been very rare. Once most recently in 2018, the Patriots won that game 31-17. to And then four years before that, the customary four-year AFC-NFC rotation, the Packers won that game at Lambeau 26-21 in one of my all-time favorite regular season games ever. If I had to do a power rankings of my favorite Packers regular season games, no, even better. If I had to come up with a starting five of my five favorite Packers regular season games of all time. I don't know the other four, but my starting point guard on that starting five is 2014 Packers Patriots, the game they won 26-21. Mike Neal and Mike Daniels closing the deal with that sack in the fourth quarter. Jordy Nelson busting the one big play he had all game all over Darrell Revis at the end of the first half. That game was amazing. And I think that's the last time before last year and this year that the Packers really had a contender level team. They were great in 2016 because of and only because of Aaron Rodgers. 2014, that was a complete team. Last year was close to a complete team. I think this year, it's even more complete. So 2018, 2014, the two most recent matchups, 2010 they played as well, but Matt Flynn started. And Matt Flynn, gee, you got to give Matt Flynn credit. He damn near beat Tom Brady in Foxborough when Aaron Rodgers missed that game with a concussion. They had two close calls in the Super Bowl, right? In 2010, when the Packers were in the Super Bowl, the Patriots went into the postseason 14-2 and and lost to the Jets and Mike Pettin and Rex Ryan. So they just barely missed out on that Super Bowl matchup. And then in 2014, the Patriots made the Super Bowl. The Packers absolutely should have made it, but a fourth-string tight end prevented that from happening. And now we all, you know, we punish Aaron Rodgers for only being in one Super Bowl. It's a fourth-string tight end. You hold that against Aaron Rodgers, you're crazy. It is a bummer that in 2010 and 2014, we just missed out so closely on the Packers-Patriots-Brady-Rodgers matchup in the Super Bowl. Imagine if this was their fifth or sixth all-time matchup with a couple of Super Bowl meetings in the works already. I mean, God, this would be a heck of a series. But it just never really materialized that way. What could have been? What could have been? And it was funny uh, last last week because Aaron Rodgers was talking to the media and he's like, you understand that I'm not directly playing against Tom Brady, right? Like it's me versus Tom's defense, the Tampa Bay defense, and it's Tom Brady versus our defense. And it was funny to hear Aaron Rodgers point that out because David Bakhtiari and his press availability this week said the exact same thing, right? Players are starting to say, like, you guys got to chill out with the quarterback stuff. Yeah, I mean, we just prayed for Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you got the Tampa Bay Brady's versus the Green Bay Rodgers. That's the way I look at this game. It's a one-on-one battle. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's. I I know uh, media kind of likes to pin, you know, the the franchise quarterbacks and, like, the big-name guys against each other. But, I mean, they don't play against each other. It's 11 on 11, you know, it's the offense versus their their defense and vice versa. Hearing answers like that from players always makes me feel so self-conscious about about the discussions that I have on the show and the things that I say as a fan. Because part of me thinks that if, you know, a, a Packer player were to tune into the Wisco Sports right now, they'd be like, God, this guy's, 
he, he, he don't know what's going on. He has no clue what's going on. Because the players have such a different perspective on the games and the matchups in comparison to the fans or even me. I mean, hey, this is a radio show. You can't do any better. But still, my perspective, even on this amazing show that has no equal in this entire state, you can't do any better. Bakhtiari is still like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> like, you're talking about Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. Bunch of idiots. And it's funny because Rodgers said it last week. Bakhtiari says it this week. Uh, yeah, I'm going to hype this up as Brady versus Rodgers anyway. Like, I'm, st- I'm still going to do it. I don't care what the players say. The best matchup of this game, however, might actually not be the quarterbacks. It might be, well, I, I'm not going to say might. It is the Buccaneers' defense versus the Packers' offense, especially up front. The defensive front versus the Packers' offensive line. Let me hit you with some numbers, some research. This is big time here. The Packers have allowed a sack on 2.16% of Rodgers' dropbacks. What is that, like a little bit less than two and a half sacks per every 100 dropbacks? Am I reading that correctly? That's math even I can do. If that number were to stick until the end of the season, that would be the lowest rate in the NFL since 2008, 12 years ago. Also math I can do. I know I'm, I'm killing it today. I had my coffee. Packers have allowed a sack on 2.16% of Aaron Rodgers' dropbacks. That number is incredible. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Matt LaFleur talked about it in his presser this week, and I thought this answer was really, really good, speaking to that low percentage of pressures that Aaron Rodgers is facing. It takes, it's all 11 guys doing their jobs. Uh, It takes the receivers and anybody that's out in a route getting open in the timing of the play. It takes the communication up front, making sure that we're blocking the right people. It takes those guys going out and executing the blocks. It takes the quarterback being able to drop back and work through his progression in a, in a timely fashion um, and then getting the ball out of his hands. And our guys have done a really good job of that. And I think that's that's a credit to them and, and the work that they put in. You know, second thought, I wish I would have played that because I, I could have said all that. Matt LaFleur just kind of laid it out very simply. I, I was going to dive into exactly what's different this year than in years past. Why is that sack rate so low and you know, the offensive line, the receivers, the quarterback. I wish I wouldn't have played that because Matt LaFleur just kind of stole my thunder. I don't know what I want to talk about for the next five minutes now. I could have, I could have, I could have made five minutes of content out of that. Matt LaFleur is correct, though. It is a team effort. It's not just the offensive line. And the offensive line has been great. Don't get me wrong, but consider what the offensive line has gone through. They lost their starting right tackle in free agency, and then they lost their starting right guard to injury. So amid all the shuffling and all the changes, they've still been this dominant. And even the pressures that have reached Aaron Rodgers and the sacks that they've given up, they haven't really been the fault of the offensive line. It's been the fault of Aaron Rodgers rolling the wrong way or stepping up into pressure, which he typically doesn't do, but is, he's seemingly done more uh, as he gets older and has his you know speed might deteriorate a little bit. I think Rodgers still thinks he can escape, and eh, sometimes he can't. Th- their offensive line has been incredible given all the changes and the, uh, the switchover that they've seen, but Matt LaFleur is 100% correct. A pressure rate or a sack rate of 2.16% isn't just the work of the offensive line. It's a team effort. We all know that wide receivers play a huge role, not just running routes and catching passes for Matt LaFleur, but blocking. Blocking for wide receivers is super, super important in the Matt LaFleur offense, which is why they love Alan Lazard so much. They call him the enforcer because he sets the tone. He's laying big blocks and he's creating space for other wide receivers, creating space for Aaron Jones, or just buying time for Aaron Rodgers. If Alan Lazard has got to block somebody, uh, while Aaron Rodgers is, say, bootlegging, rolling out to the right. Not just the offensive line, but the wide receivers and the tight ends. Robert Tanyan has improved his blocking. We all know how great Mercedes Lewis is, but it's also the work of Aaron Rodgers. And I think Rodgers is the biggest factor of all in keeping that sack number low at 2.16%. Aaron Rodgers has 
tweaked the way that he plays at age 36 this season. We've talked about this before on this show. He has become the ideal version of himself at age 36. Everything we've wanted to see from Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years, we're seeing right now. He's tweaked his game. He's rolling around less. He's trying to escape the pocket less. He's playing within time and within rhythm. And he's trusting this offense. That's the most important thing. He has belief that if Matt LaFleur says Alan Lazard is going to be open, Alan Lazard is going to be open. Right? If Aaron Rodgers is on a three-step drop and expects MVS to be open on the slant, he trusts that MVS is going to be open on the slant because that's the way Matt LaFleur drew it up. And Aaron Rodgers buying into this offense, throwing on time and on target, not running as much, not extending the play as much, just here and there when it's necessary. And he's trusting the offense. That's the biggest factor in that sack rate being so stupidly low. And don't get me wrong, Corey Lindsley's having a career year. Elton Jenkins is a beast. And UWL alumni general manager Brian Gutekinds doesn't get enough credit for that pick because y'all wanted a receiver in the third round or whatever. And then we all know how great David Bakhtiari is. From center to left tackle, God, I don't know if you can do any better on the offensive line. And that coaching staff has been able to figure out the right side between Billy Turner and Rick Wagner, and everybody else they've rotated, and they have done a superb job. But it's not just the offensive line. The wide receivers play a role, the tight ends, and I think most importantly, Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is going to have to keep it up because Tampa Bay is sacking opposing quarterbacks at a rate of 8.76%. 8.76% of their plays, they're sacking the opposition quarterback. Once again, this is simple math I can do, and I'm going to do it. Uh, That's eight and a half sacks per near per 100 plays. That's fifth best in the NFL. Tampa Bay gets after the quarterback, and they do a really good job. Jason Pierre-Paul has four sacks already. That's good enough for seventh in the NFL. And Shaq Barrett, he's he's not off to a superstar start. He's getting sacks too, but remember, he led the entire league in 2019 with 19 and a half sacks. This Tampa Bay defense can get after the quarterback. Now, Vita Vea is out this week. They're just tank of a nose guard. Their version of Kenny Clark is out, and that will no doubt make life easier for the Packers should they want to run the ball or obviously pass protect on every play that Aaron Rodgers is throwing. But the Buccaneers get after the quarterback, and they stuff the run. They do a really good job slowing down the opposition's running game. They're actually only allowing 58.4 rushing yards per game. That's best in the league. This is a game where the Packers might have to pass to set up the run. I'm sure you haven't heard that cliche a million times so far this week, right? But it's very, very true. The analytics people are always saying, stop running on first and 10. Stop running on second long. Throw the ball on early downs. And I think Green Bay might need to embrace that idea this week. Because I don't know if Aaron Jones is going to be able to pick up five or six yards on first down. And if he can't pick up five or six yards, I would rather Aaron Rodgers drop back and pass. Especially against this run defense that only allows just over 55 rushing yards per game. I'm worried that Matt LaFleur is going to be stubborn as all head coaches are. They're the most stubborn group of individuals on this planet. Coaches and radio hosts, both very stubborn. (laughs) I'm worried that Matt LaFleur is going to be stubborn. Try to pound the rock. We got to establish the run game. Establish the run. No, no, no. Don't worry about establishing the run. Worry about doing what you have to do to win. Don't worry about the run game. Worry about winning. If that means Aaron Rodgers throws 45 times and Aaron Jones takes a little bit of a backseat in the running game and is more active as a pass catcher and Jamal Williams is more active as a pass catcher, absolutely, sign me up. I think head coaches get it in their mind. We need to establish the run. We need to maintain balance. No, you need to win, right? In some weeks, that means running on early downs. In some weeks, that means Cutting it loose. And Aaron Rodgers might have to be ready to cut it loose on Sunday afternoon the way this Tampa Bay defense controls the run. This Packers defense has been much maligned, but I think they had their best performance 
albeit against a dinged-up Falcons offense. I know Julio was injured, and Jair did such a great job of taking Calvin Ridley out of the game, which made life easier for Mike Patton, but they showed some good signs. Situationally, strategically, I I thought Monday night, a little bit more than a week ago, was their best game of the year. It's looking like they're going to be without one of their most important players. That's Kevin King. We'll talk about what that looks like for the Packers defense, and I have a suggestion for Mike Patton, because that's all I do. I I just think I'm I'm brilliant. So I'm going to give one of very few defensive coordinators on this planet, I'm going to give him advice because I have a radio show and I can. Sorry, Mike Patton, I got some advice for you on how to handle the absence of Kevin King. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Happy Thursday. Just consider the weekend starting today. It's it's fine. It's 2020. There are no no rules. I'm, I'm going to go home, crack a beer. I know there's no football on tonight, but... Weekend starts today. It's okay. We can treat ourselves. Thanks for tuning in. You can text the show, 608-796-2558. And you can tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. We're talking Packers today. We've done too much messing around on the show this week. It's already Thursday, and we have not done one ounce of formal previewing between the Packers and the Buccaneers. What have we been doing? We've wasted so much time this week when we could be digging into the matchups and the storylines and the narratives, and we could be digging. We just And look. I take the blame. I've done a poor job hosting this week. We we are behind, and we need to get down to brass tacks today. We have a lot of previewing to do, uh, including one of the most important Packers is going to be out this week. At least it's looking that way. Kevin King, who did not practice once again today. He had his helmet on yesterday, and he stretched with the team, and then didn't end up practicing. He didn't practice today, so it looks like he's going to be out. This is a very pro-Kevin King show, and I feel for Kevin, because he often gets lost in the shuffle of, the upcoming 2021 free agency class, right? You got to re-sign David Bakhtiari, and I agree. You don't let go of franchise left tackle, 100%. You got to re-sign Aaron Jones. Hey, amen. He's their most productive offensive player. He's huge in the run game, huge in the pass game. He's wildly valuable. Absolutely, Aaron Jones, big fan. Corey Lindsley, he's probably having his best career year right now. You got to re-sign him. Jamal Williams, absolutely, I'm a fan. He does things that help the Packers win. I want to re-sign all those guys, but... Don't forget about Kevin King because Kevin King is a baller and he plays a very important role on this defense. Think of it this way. The Packers haven't had to draft corners in the first and second round. I don't know about you, but I would very much like that to continue. It's a bad place to be. Anytime Packers fans, either young or old, talk about having to draft corners. What do Packers fans who are a little bit older or even middle-aged? See, I'm young by comparison. So young Fans like me, we think of Quentin Rollins, Demarius Randall, Kevin King. We're drafting all these corners, just hoping one sticks. Packers fans who are a little bit older will tell you about the slew of corners that were drafted by the team when Randy Moss is on the Vikings. It's like we're trying to play catch up. We got to get a good corner. Got to draft a good corner. For the first time in recent history, the Packers don't have to draft cornerbacks right now. I don't know about you, but I I'm pretty content. I would very much like that to continue. I would like the Packers to bring Kevin King back. Now, of course, Bakhtiari, Jones, Lindsley, all important players as well. And that's something that UWL alumni Brian Gutekunst and his uh, compadre, the financial guy, Russ Ball, that's something they have to figure out. But don't forget about Kevin King and his importance. The injury report came out yesterday and then again today. It looks like Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark are good to go. It seems like they're ready. Even after the bye, it seems like they're ready to rock and roll. Now, yesterday, Kevin King stretched. He had his helmet on, but he didn't participate. He's got the quad. He didn't participate today either. Now, given how Matt LaFleur has handled injuries so far, I can't imagine that Kevin King's going to play this weekend 
on Sunday afternoon against Tampa Bay. Now, they will have to make that decision a little bit sooner than they would if they were playing at home because either Kevin King's going to travel with the team or, or not, right? If the Packers were at home, they can hold that information until some, something like 90 minutes before kickoff. Now, they got to travel, so that changes just a little bit. But I can't imagine he'll play, especially given the way that Matt LaFleur has handled some of these injuries so far. Now, take Kevin King out of the equation. The Packers' depth chart at corner has Kadar Holman and Perry Nickerson and Josh Jackson as the backups, right? Now, Chandon Sullivan's in the slot, so he's he's not really a backup. He's the third corner who plays different roles and, and comes in in different packages. Your two outside corners are Jair Alexander and Kevin King. Take Kevin King out of the equation. You're left with Kadar Holman, Perry Nickerson, and Josh Jackson. Now, nothing against Kadar, nothing against Perry, but they're both sixth-round picks. This should be Josh Jackson's time to shine. He was a second-round pick. A lot of people at some point in the pre-draft process in what was, was that the 2017 draft? Spring of, I think it was the spring of 2017, right? When Kevin King was drafted, a lot of people in the pre-draft process, like I I know people that wanted the Packers to take Josh Jackson at 15 overall, which is where they ultimately got Jair Alexander. And then they took, um, or no, I'm I'm thinking about the, yeah, Josh Jackson, not Kevin King. So Jair Alexander went in the first round. A lot of people that year wanted Josh Jackson to be their first round pick, not Kevin King, a couple of years off here. Now, that didn't end up happening. The Packers get him in the second round instead. He hasn't become, I think, the shutdown beast of a corner that a lot of fans were hoping for. This should be Josh Jackson's time to shine. He's got a couple of years in the league. Kevin King goes down. He fits the same size and weight as Kevin King. He fits his role. And if he doesn't play this week, meaning Kadar Holman starts or Perry Nickerson starts, that's, that's, that's a yikes. Because that's a real indictment on what this coaching staff thinks of Josh Jackson, the second-round pick, at this point in his career. Not trying to be dramatic here, but just my opinion. This is a career-defining moment, a career-defining game. That doesn't mean if Josh Jackson doesn't play well, then he'll never amount to anything, and he's a terrible football player. That's not what I'm saying. But Josh Jackson has an opportunity on Sunday to make a big statement in a big moment and become a really valuable part of the reserves of this Packers defense. If they can work him in in times and, and they can rely on him, man, that gives him so much flexibility. Now, if he doesn't play or doesn't play well on Sunday, that doesn't mean he's toast and he's done, but this is a career-defining moment for him. Now, let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Josh Jackson. What does he do well? Well, the way I read it and the evidence that I find, he had eight interceptions in his senior year at Iowa, two pick sixes. He, he basically outscored Nate Stanley and the Hawkeye offense the first time Nate Stanley came to Camp Randall a couple of years ago. When he, Did he have both pick sixes or just one? Where, like, Nate Stanley in that offense had, like, 10 yards of offense, but Alex Hornibrook was throwing pick sixes all over the field. And I'm up there in the stands just getting angry. He blocked a punt against the Vikings as a rookie. A lot of picks, a lot of dynamic plays around the ball in college. He has great ball skills. That's what the evidence is telling me, is he makes dynamic, game-changing plays, even if his coverage down in and down out isn't as solid and isn't as consistent as Kevin King. Well, Tom Brady has four pick sixes in six games. I... Maybe I'm being a little aggressive here. Maybe I'm being too much of a Packer fan, but the way I see it, let's put Josh Jackson front and center and hope that he busts the game with one of these game-breaking plays, a pick six, an interception, maybe force a fumble, block a punt. I don't know. But if Josh Jackson is going to play, and if Tom Brady's going to continue to turn the ball over, then let's let Josh Jackson ball. Let's let him cook. Let's put him front and center instead of trying to hide him, instead of trying to tuck him into the defense as he plays as a second string reserve this Sunday. Let's let's not even try to hide him. Make him a centerpiece of the game plan and see if Josh Jackson can't make a huge statement, announce himself 
as the second round pick that was taken a couple of years ago. And some people wanted him in the first round. Let's see what he can do. And if Tom Brady's going to continue to put the ball up, then hell yeah. Josh Jackson's had great ball skills all the way back to Iowa. Let's see what he can do. I'm excited. Don't be concerned. Be optimistic. Be excited. It should be fun. I hope Josh Jackson balls out on Sunday. That would be an awesome story to follow. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back and hear from Devontae Adams, who looks like he's going to play this week, which is amazing, awesome, can't wait. We'll hear from him next, coming up on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out. Happy Thursday. We made it. We made it. Thank God. There's no football on tonight, so I'm really going to kick back, relax. I have a beer already halfway cracked. That's how ready I am for this weekend. Man. Got all the political stuff going on, all the COVID stuff in our state, just ready for the weekend, ready to relax. And I'm ready for Packers Buccaneers, which we are finally getting down to the nitty gritty and promoing this game, previewing this game today. Finally digging into some of the matchups and some of the statistics and and storylines that make this game interesting. We've just wasted way too much time this week. Think of all the previewing we've missed. (laughs) All the time we've wasted talking about other things other than Packers and Buccaneers. If you want to tweet at me, be a part of the show, follow me and tweet at me when the show's not going on, too. It's a blast. Twitter is amazing and horrible. That's why I love it. Wisco Grant. You can find me, W-I-S-C-O-G-R-A-N-T. Grant Bills. That's B-I-L-S-E. You can look me up. Let's hear from Devontae Adams, because I think one of the most exciting things about this upcoming game is, for the first time since week two, the Detroit game, the Packers, it seems, expectedly, are going to have Devontae Adams back and 100% healthy and I appreciate Ryan Wood who by the way Ryan if you're listening for whatever reason please come back on my show we had such a good thing going uh, a couple of weeks ago we had some great conversations and I'd love to have you back I know you're busy but sheesh get back to me let's make something happen Ryan you address the elephant in the room with Devontae Adams one Devontae how's your hamstring and two let's talk about that tweet you had uh, that seemed to show some angst towards the Packers organization hamstring feels good um it feels even even better than it was um at that point, when when the tweet was put out, I mean, it's it's not too much to read into it to to say I was frustrated. Obviously, I'm a competitor. I think everybody knows that. Um, everybody knows what I'm about and how I play football. Um, and you know, I don't I don't necessarily, you know, I obviously understand what the the club's interests and um, you know everything that goes with it. But you know, being a competitor, like I said, me being who I am and how I'm wired, um, even if I'm not 100, percent which I said obviously at that point I felt um, great to play. But even if I'm not 100%, I mean, I, I've played few football games feeling 100%. So at the end of the day, a lot of that factored into the decision. And then the tweet was taken down because I decided to take it down. Um, nothing else went into that other than me deciding that, you know, that was the best thing to do. Um, a little frustrated when it happened, obviously, but then decided to take it down just so there was no distractions on game day and my teammates can go out there and um, take care of business without hearing about, um, you know, too much extra stuff. No distractions on game day. Don't want my teammates worrying about anything else. Don't want to draw attention to this team. The tweet was probably a mistake, and Devontae Adams realizes that. And I wouldn't be surprised if a coach or somebody said, hey, look, Devontae, if you're ticked, like, come talk to us, right? Don't take it out on Twitter. We don't want that. We don't want that distraction. And Devontae Adams, who has a pretty pristine track record, without a whole lot of drama, you know, he gets the benefit of the doubt on these types of things. And I appreciate him speaking candidly about it. Devontae Adams was also asked, and I, I thought this is funny, that a B reporter straight up said, hey, Devontae, what do you specifically bring to this offense? Because remember, week one, Devontae Adams is unreal. He had 14 catches. But since his injury, the offense hasn't missed a beat. 
the offense didn't slow down at all. And, and so I think it's a fair question. Like, hey, Devontae, what do you add when you actually play? Because when you got hurt, man, they didn't seem to miss a beat. Uh, everybody knows, you know, how, how I approach the game. And, you know, I'm going to give 110% as far as, um, you know, my contributions, um, you know, to, to what we're doing out there. But I think more than anything, just the leadership aspect, I think everybody's been able to take care of their business, um, step up in the in the absence of me not being out there, obviously. Uh, we've been able to still put up some some pretty big numbers. And, um, you know, a lot of that is due to uh, Aaron Rodgers and what he's, what he's able to do with, you know, basically anybody. But, you know, these guys put a lot of work in um, to be able to step up in those type of positions. So um, I've been commending them since last year when I got hurt and they all stepped up and did their thing. So um, that's basically just been continuing on this year and um, really good mindset from that room. So even if I'm not out there or if I am, you know, I have full confidence that we'll be able to get the job done. Preparation and leadership, two things that Devontae Adams cited right there. Even if the offense can still keep scoring, put up points and find ways to win, preparation and leadership. I think are two big pieces of of any team. And I'm sure you've experienced this in your place of work or maybe at school. If you're doing something for the first time or you're embarking on some project, some mission that you got to get done, right? If you're a salesperson or if you work in radio like I do, anytime you got to go out in the community and do a broadcast or go on a sales call, like I'm confident in my ability to broadcast, but it's always nice to have a coworker with me, right? It's nice to have somebody with me who's been there, done that. So if we run into issues, If we run into problems, it's nice to have that extra voice in the room. And I think Devontae Adams is that extra voice in the room that can guide those younger wide receivers on how to prepare, how to overcome adversity, provide some leadership, provide some comfort. Even if the points haven't shut off yet, there is going to come a time where this offense struggles. There's a good chance it's on Sunday and you need that extra bit of leadership and perspective. And Devontae Adams provides that. Mike Clemens, who you hear on the Bill Michaels show, made another really good point today in media availability And it's a point that I've made on the show. Since Devontae Adams has got injured, so many other players have stepped up. Alan Lazard in the red zone. Jamal Williams in the passing game. Robert Tanyan on third down and in the red zone. Lots and lots and lots of options. And Devontae Adams talked about those different options and performances from seemingly a different player every single week on the offensive side of the ball. The more people that step up and the more people that demand that respect from the defense, obviously... Um, it'll free up the, you know, anybody on the field. So it'll help me out, give me more opportunities and, um, you know, make it a little tougher for defenses to just, uh, kind of clue in on what I'm doing and, and double or do whatever they're doing. Cause at the end of the day, if, if they want to continue to do that, then that's fine. But, um, you know, Robert Tynion or Mercedes or, uh, you know, Malik, whoever, whoever's out there, Quez, it'll just give them more opportunities to make plays. This offense has seen so many different performances from so many different players, and they're all slightly different. And Perry Goldstein from Cheesehead TV joined the show on Tuesday. The Packers have put so many different concepts to work through the first quarter, the first month of the season. Mesh concepts, bootlegs, even vertical shots with running backs. So many different looks for the defense to have to deal with. And week by week, they've had a different hero. Adams in week one. Jones in week two against the Lions. Alan Lazard in the Superdome. Robert Tanyan on Monday Night Football. All these different options, all these different looks. And this offense, with or without Devontae Adams, has seemed complete enough and has enough options to still put up points. Now, a different topic that was covered in Devontae Adams' presser, and I, I, I we haven't really talked about this on the show yet, and it seems like a good a time as any because it's really important. I don't know if you've noticed this, but pre-snap motion is everywhere for the Packers. I think they're using it some 60% of the time, and they're in the top five in the NFL for pre-snap motion. Devontae Adams was asked about this how does the motion help 
the offense? Um, I mean, just because it gives you a lot of information. You get the, these motions, you know, these these wide shorts or, you know, just moving guys around how we do. Um, it, it allows to uncover a lot of secrets that the defense is trying to hold in. And, you know, certain things where they can't really do much about it. Um, if they're going to play certain coverages, they got to, they have to follow a guy. I mean, if it's man coverage and you short motion, you have to follow him. Otherwise, that guy will be wide open. So, um, just putting us in some advent- advantageous uh, looks early, I think that that's put us in some pretty good spots. Um, now we have different counters, so hearing this for me is not like going to spoil anything. But we got a bunch of different things that we do off of those motions, so um, that's what allows us to kind of keep the defense honest. Pre-snap motion can be used by a coach and by a quarterback to diagnose the defense. Are they in man? Are they in zone? Right, just more information to hopefully get the right play call, the right pass protection, the right reads, right? Just information. If you move a wide receiver around, you can see how the defense reacts, and that can be used. That information can be used to help judge the defense and how it should be best attacked. It's also been really, really productive in the running game for the Packers. And I was reading The Athletic today, Ben Fennel, who does film breakdowns on Twitter, and if you don't follow him, you absolutely should. These statistics, I almost didn't believe they were real. That's how eye-popping they are. Pre-snap motion and its effect on the Packers' running game. Yards per carry. When using pre-snap motion, the Packers average 6.3 yards per carry. That's best in the league. With no pre-snap motion, they average 3.3 yards per carry, which is 29th. Explosive runs. Runs of 10-plus yards. When using pre-snap motion, they have 13 of them. That's third best in the NFL. Without, they have five. That's 28th. Yards before contact when using pre-snap motion, 2.6. That's first in the NFL. Yards before contact with no pre-snap motion, 0.6 yards. And that's 27th in the NFL. It's cut and dry night and day, first and last. When pre-snap motion is being used by this Packers offense, it helps Aaron Rodgers diagnose things. It helps put the defense at a slight disadvantage. And it is a night and day difference for this running attack, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Okay, finally, for a good laugh, Jason Wilde brought up an interesting point. Javante Adams had his first breakout game against the Patriots back in 2014. He made, he made a play on the fake spike in the Miami game earlier on in the year, but his first breakout game was against the Patriots. Jason Wilde asked Devontae Adams if a quarterback matchup like this causes everyone else to raise their play, or raise their play uh, and Adams' answer was hilarious. No, I don't care about that at all. I don't. I mean, you look at it as a cool thing until the you know the the, the clock starts running. At the end of the day, I don't really care if it's Nate Peterman or if it's Tom Brady on the other side, honestly, just because that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. Um, I go into kind of like a, a black hole or I got kind of tunnel vision, I guess people call it when, when I'm on the field. Sometimes I don't even hear the, the crowd when I'm on the field. So um, I'd say probably one of the last things in the world that I'm worried about is who's playing quarterback on the other team. Imagine, imagine being a beat reporter in that zoom with Devonte Adams and you got your notes and you're ready. I know what I'm going to ask him. Hey, uh, Devontae, you had such a breakout game against Tom Brady your rookie year in 2014. Is there something about a, a great, iconic matchup of quarterbacks that just brings the best out in your play? No, I don't care about that at all. <laughs> like, just just get dunked on. God, I would hate that. I, I could never be a beat reporter for that reason. Is I, just, I would feel as though I have the best question. I've thought about it. I've pondered it. I've prepared it. And then I ask it, and the and the... The player just shuts it down. No, I don't care about that at all. I don't care about that at all. Once again, something that the media buys into, fans buy into, something we're buying into on the show, and players are like, man, nah. That ain't it ain't a big deal to us. We don't care. 
or in the words of Devontae Adams, I just don't care at all. No, I don't care about that at all. I don't care about that at all. <laughs> just get dunked on, Jason Wildy. And the answer was interesting, and it was, and we all learned something, right? But not exactly the response that I bet Jason Wildy was expecting, which makes me laugh. That's Devontae Adams, who I adore. I'm glad he's a Packer. Let's talk about another team's wide receiver that might be ready to go off the rails. A diva wide receiver, one of my favorite stories to follow, one of my favorite things to watch, as long as they're not on the Packers. Devontae Adams, far from a diva. This wide receiver, though, however, might be running into some issues with his team. We'll talk about that and then get back into the Packers coming up after 5 o'clock. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. Wisco Sports Show, final segment before 5 o'clock. We're going to get back into the Packers, even talk Wisconsin football with Colton Bartholomew. Take two after our technical difficulties last night. We'll talk with Colton coming up at 5.30. We're previewing Packers and Buccaneers, but before we get back to the preview, the serious business of the evening, uh, I want to have some laughs and some entertainment at the expense of another team, the New Orleans Saints. I just love ripping on the New Orleans Saints. You can join the show by texting 608-796-2558. I tell you to tweet at me, at Wisco Grant, but it seems like Twitter is down. Um, which I hope is in preparation for the town halls tonight, the political events going on, because I think we'd all be better as a society if we just shut Twitter down for the next 24 hours. But they should know that half of my show's content just comes directly from Twitter. I have all these saved tweets lined up and ready to go, including some tweets from Michael Thomas, who looks like he is just about ready to go full Antonio Brown straight off the rails, and I am here for it. Sign me up. First, a little bit of context. After hearing from Devontae Adams today, he provided some amazing context and perspective on his tweet that he regrets and deleted. Check this out one more time. tweet was taken down because I decided to take it down. Um, Nothing else went into that other than me deciding that, you know, that was the best thing to do. Um, A little frustrated when it happened, obviously, but then decided to take it down just so there was no distractions on game day and my teammates can go out there and um, take care of business without hearing about, um, you know, too much extra stuff. If you don't know what Devontae Adams is talking about, Before the Falcons game, he tweeted a little frustrated. Hey, I guess I don't know my body as well as everyone else, and I won't be out there to play. Good luck to my teammates. He ended up taking it down. He said, because I didn't want a distraction, it was my decision, blah, 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 blah. I'm so glad Devontae Adams is a Packer. That's about as drama-free of a wide receiver as you're going to find. Appreciate him, because that's not always going to be the case. The Packers have had some, some pretty solid wide receivers on the drama front the last 15 years, right? Donald Driver, James Jones... Uh, Greg Jennings is, at the time, drama-free. Now he's a little bit obnoxious. Right, Jordy Nelson. They've been really lucky, and now with Devontae Adams. One of my favorite NFL stories to follow is a diva wide receiver. They are awesome. Antonio Brown was an odyssey. It was an epic, like like Ulysses or Odysseus, depending on, you know, I think one's Greek, one's Roman. doesn't matter. Like, that was a Greek legend. The story from Pittsburgh, then to Oakland, then to New England, and then he's out of the league, and the frozen feet, and the hot air balloon, and it just, it was too crazy to write. That only happens in sports. And you see storylines like that in sports where, like, I couldn't write that if I tried to. That's why sports are amazing, because of things like Antonio Brown. We've come close with other wide receivers. Stephon Diggs had beef and had drama in Minnesota, and they traded him, and it just seemed like a change of scenery. It's all he needed, right? Odell Beckham has had some interesting spats here and there, but I think Odell Beckham gets... Kind of a, a raw deal from some of the media. Okay, he punched a hole in the wall at Lambeau. Okay, fine. He didn't ride a hot air balloon to camp and freeze his feet off and sexually assault people the way that Antonio Brown did, right? That being said, Odell Beckham, there's always an interesting story going on, right? The boat trip, all that. 
a diva wide receiver is an amazing story and a gift that NFL fans should always be grateful to have. And that's why I'm pleased to announce today at 4.54 p.m. that it looks like NFL fans are getting another gift, a new diva wide receiver, one that I did not see coming on a team that I did, well, a team that should have been easy to predict, Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints. I love it. Please go off the rails. Become a diva. I don't know if you saw. And if you don't own him in fantasy, I guess you don't have any reason to follow unless you're really following the NFL closely or you're watching the Saints for some reason. The Saints suspended him from, suspended in quotes, from Monday night's game for conduct issues. Now, they didn't technically suspend him, and that is important, and I'll tell you why in a minute or two. The Saints just sat him out for disciplinary reasons because he got in a fight with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And it's interesting because over the last couple of days, I've heard countless former NFL players on radio and TV shows say, one fight, that happens all the time, happens every day. There's a scuffle in practice. You suspend your best wide receiver for that? A one-in-three team doesn't hold out their best wide receiver over one spat, right? This can't be new. This can't be an isolated incident. Well, a couple of more details have leaked out. It seems like Michael Thomas has been an issue with coaches. He went after coaches after the C.J. Gardner-Johnson incident, right? This can't be new. This has to be boiling up for a while. A one-in-three team simply doesn't hold out their best wide receiver over one little fracas with a with a no-name defensive player. And I love it. Diva, diva. Diva, diva. And then after being suspended, and I use that term loosely, and once again, I'll tell you why in a minute, Michael Thomas, as all people our age do, immediately took to Twitter, and I love it because tweets never end well. Twitter never ends well ever for anyone. Nobody has ever gone on Twitter and thought, this will fix it. It's never fixed it, ever. In human history, a tweet has never fixed anything. Here are some of the best ones from two days ago. Think what you want. I ain't trying to clear no rumors up. Well, I mean, maybe if you're going to tweet about it, maybe clearing the rumors up, maybe that would be helpful, Michael. Maybe that would be a good strategy. But no, he's not. He is not trying to clear any rumors up, in case anyone was wondering, according to his tweet. Another tweet. You ain't a snake, but they will make you. I'm, he seems to be speaking in more loose terms, but just, you know, about everybody. They, they, I'm not a snake. You're not a snake. We're not snakes. But, you know, that's what life will do to you. They'll make you a snake. Very cryptic very odd tweet. Nobody has ever come out on Twitter and been reasonable and been like, wow, what a misunderstanding at practice. No fear, NFL fans. This will be settled out. Thanks, Mike. Like nobody's ever, nobody's ever tweeted like that before. All right. Now, why this suspension, quote unquote, is significant. Now, Mike Florio, investigator of obscure rules, contract lawyer extraordinaire, he actually did the digging and realized that if the Saints suspend Michael Thomas for conduct detrimental, he loses $28 million in guarantees. $28 million. If you watch Pro Football Talk, you know Mike Florio's shtick. You know, Michael Thomas with his contract. Conduct detrimental to the team. Michael Thomas. God, Mike Florio. But props to him for putting his law degree to work and checking out this contract. If the Saints end up suspending him for conduct detrimental, he loses $28 million in guarantees. That is hardly insignificant, even for a rich NFL player. Now, if I'm reading the situation correctly, I think the Saints want to bring this to a head now. If this is going to go south and this is going to become a thing, I think the Saints want to expedite it and have it happen now. Because if this isn't going to work and this is going to become a, a drama-filled relationship that's mismanaged and, and, and they're going to have to part ways eventually down the road anyways, a la Antonio Brown in uh, Pittsburgh, if that's where this is going, the Saints want to go there now so they can deal with it and move on. It's like um, speaking to the fellas here. You know when you're courting a new woman? 
You're trying to talk to a new woman, maybe trying to get a date, trying to get to know someone. And maybe texting back and forth or maybe slid in someone's DMs, which I've never had the guts to do, but I understand that's a popular strategy. At some point during that conversation, you might just think, all right, screw it. I'm shooting my shot. I'm going for it. And if she rejects me, fine. She rejects me. But at least I know no one's wasting their time. This is the same thing. This is Sean Payton in the DMs of Michael Thomas saying, hey, if you're not in this for the long haul, if you're going to be a drama-filled mess and we're going to have to trade you anyways, I want to do it now. And I want to move on and, and, and cut our losses. That's what Sean Payton is doing. And that's why they, quote, suspended him. It wasn't a suspension that was suspension by the letter of the law because he hasn't lost those guarantees. But I think they're trying to let Michael Thomas know that, like, hey, we can slash $28 million from your contract relatively easily because conduct detrimental is not exactly difficult to prove. You punch a teammate in practice. You cuss out a coach. There you go. There's all the evidence you need. And $30 million guaranteed cold, hard cash of financial security goes right out the window. Look, I don't really love Sean Payton. I don't really love the Saints, but I think this is a smart move because if this is going to turn into Antonio Brown, let's do it now. Trade him for as much value as we can get and turn the page as a franchise rather than dragging this out and pandering to him. And next thing you know, he's showing up to training camp a week late with frozen feet flying in a hot air balloon. And everyone's wondering, how did we get here? Well, this is how it starts. And props to the Saints for... Letting Michael Thomas know, look, if you want to play, let's play. But it's going to cost you $30 million, and you're going to be out of New Orleans like that, and you're going to have to run five-yard slants for another quarterback on another team. Let's get back into the Packers coming up after 5 o'clock. Badger football with Colton Bartholomew as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show with me, Grant Bills, coming up next. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Happy Thursday. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Twitter is down right now. But you can follow me on Twitter at Wisco Grant if you'd like. You can text the show at 608-796-2558. However, don't call right now because waiting on the talk and text line is our good friend Colton Bartholomew. He was scheduled to join us yesterday and he was great. He called in. We were starting an amazing discussion and then we ran into technical difficulties, which was a huge bummer. But he was so gracious, so willing to come back today, and I'm glad that we have him. Colton Bartholomew of the State Journal joining us now on the Wisco Sports Show. And Colton, our conversation yesterday was off to such a good start, and then we got disconnected. And I loved what you were saying about the Big Ten and the Big Ten possibly doing this better than the SEC and the ACC. I remember you mentioning centralized testing and reporting as a big sticking point on why you think the Big Ten season might go better than seasons of conferences that we have seen so far. Can you reiterate what you were saying yesterday about that? Yeah, so the Big Ten, in their process of getting this whole plan together, one of the big points was each school has uh, basically a coronavirus officer who who oversees uh, all the testing and makes sure that all testing, positive and negative, gets sent into the the Big Ten, and they have a a centralized testing kind of process that processes everything. And what they're also trying to do is, you know, on, on top of trying to keep the athletes safe and keep these games safe, is give more data to researchers with these, you know, pretty large sample sizes that hopefully can help, um, you know, in a large sense, helping against the fight of COVID-19 here. Uh, But I think that's going to help just in general, the Big Ten not have some of these issues that we're seeing uh, in the SEC and uh, some of the other conferences right now with all these delayed games, um, because you have these thresholds that are already in place, but then too, you've got, everybody's going to be on the same page. You're not going to, at least I don't think, you're going to get in these situations where it's Thursday afternoon and a game's getting canceled. Like You're going to know that this team's struggling and things are going to be already kind of 
share it publicly that, you know, there, there's chances that things might happen. So I think you're not going to see some of those more surprise announcements come from the Big Ten. I think it's going to be, all right, this team can't play, and it's, you know, known a little bit earlier if that were to come that way. Well, even if players and coaches and, and members of these teams are, are testing positive, at least we'll know that information and it will be public, and hopefully that will allow the Big Ten to pivot and adjust um, if need be. Colton Bartholomew from the State Journal uh, I we'll get to Grammerts in a second. I feel like all we've talked about is Grammerts the last couple of weeks. You wrote a piece this week on Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis and how this team is going to need those two to step up in a way that they weren't really able to two years ago when Cephas went down. So far through camp and what you've seen at practice, how have they looked? How excited or concerned are you about those two senior wide receivers and their role in the offense starting here in a couple of weeks? Yeah, well, one of the tough things about this year in general is that media hasn't been a lot of practices yet. So mm-hmm. really what we've seen is the highlights and stuff. But uh, I think just when you talk to the quarterbacks and you talk to position coaches and things of that nature, uh, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor are both kind of in that situation that they see this as their time. You know, I, I wrote in the piece, uh, Madison.com if you want to check it out, it's, you know, two years ago they were asked to do this, right, uh, be the number one, number two receivers along with A.J. Taylor um, and then 2018 just kind of went down the drain for, for the Badgers with the issues they had at quarterback, and then they just, as receivers, were never able to start consistently making plays. Um, then you get to last year, it looks like it's their time again. Then Cephas comes back, and he kind of becomes the go-to receiver, and they had to kind of find new roles where you know Kendrick Pryor was just as effective and probably more impactful as a runner than he was as a receiver most of the year, and then Danny Day was kind of the same thing. Um, this season, there is not much competition behind them um, from the receiver room. You look at other seniors like Adam Crumholtz and Jack Dunn. They're solid players, and they're solid in the rotation, but they're not going to be big playmakers for you on offense. So it really does come down to Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor stepping up. And I think that there's a lot of confidence in those guys because of the experience they've had. They know they can do it, and they've been itching for it for a long time. You know, you, you talk to them kind of behind the scenes last year, and you can tell they were frustrated. They weren't getting the opportunities that they were hoping for that, that season, but their team was winning, so they're kind of just hugging along trying to wait for their spots, um, and then they didn't really ever come. So I think this year, now with the, the insertion of Grand Merck, the quarterback, you know that the deep ball is going to be a little bit more of a prevalent part of the offense. I think both those guys have uh, a lot of big ideas of what they can do for the Badgers this year. And, and I like what you said, Colton, about it, they feel as though it's their time. Because I, I read that as a natural progression of college football, right? Players come up, they improve, they get better, and then junior and senior year, it's their time. So that's a natural progression of things. That gives me some hope that hopefully this season will go better for Davis and Pryor than it did two years ago. Colton Bartholomew from the State Journal, AP and Heisman voter, Colton Bartholomew as well. Uh, we want to make sure we are respectful of, of his credentials. Uh, let's talk about I Graham Mertz. I, yeah, I, I think he'll be successful right away because he's not going to be asked to do a whole lot. This Badgers offense is established. It's well coached. It's well run. If he simply is inserted into the starting lineup and he doesn't turn the ball over and he doesn't put his team in a bad spot, I, I think he will. I, I think it'll go smoothly right away. However, as he becomes more comfortable, assuming that he's not a train wreck and Jack Cohen doesn't come back in, uh, at the earliest possible moment. As he gets more comfortable, what can he add to this Badgers offense that we haven't seen from the quarterback position probably since, I don't know, Russell Wilson? What what makes Graham Mertz different? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think one of the, the, the easy one is the deep passing. Um, yeah. Jack has got a solid arm, but it's not great. Uh, I don't think really defense has respected uh, the Badgers at, you know, the 18 to 20 or beyond depth of, of 
uh, the field. They were really focused on shoring up the box and then making sure that they were covering some of the shorter routes. I know that Jack Bone hit Cephas for a couple down the sideline, but um, those were kind of rare, uh, few and far between. I think with Graham Mertz, you're going to see a couple of deep shots a quarter um, just to try to keep defenses honest. And then if they end up becoming splash plays and uh, being brought down for catches, um, you know, all the better. I, I think the bigger part that Mertz can do, though, is just make defenses respect the passing game more. Like, when you lose a Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield, I know Wisconsin's used to it when you lose, lost guys like Monty Ball and Melvin Gordon before and yeah. Ron Dane even before that. They're used to, you know, switching out running backs at this school. But being able to balance that out with a passing game that should be able to strike some more fear in defenses, uh, I think that if Mertz lives up to what he can be, this it's going to be easier for everybody on this offense. Um, and then I think there's a little bit of added mobility that Mertz brings. You know, Mertz isn't Russell Wilson. He's not going to be – running around making plays all the time. But I think just being able to pick up yards when stuff's not there through the air or, you know, pick up a third and short with a scramble that maybe Jack Cohn wasn't always able to do, especially because of the balance of injuries last season, um, just becomes one more thing that he adds to this offense. Yeah, he can do it when he needs to. I, I think that's just about as much as you can ask from your typical college quarterback. Obviously, Russell Wilson's an outlier. I don't want to compare every player to Russell Wilson. But if you can pick up some yards when you need to, that's – enough for me. Colton, I'm looking at this Badgers defensive roster, and there's not as many names that I remember and know from seasons past, and that's college football. I really like their cornerback room. They seem to have a good mix of experience and young guys and names I recognize, which is always a good sign. And then up front, I really like the pairing of Garrett Rand and Isaiah Loudermilk. That is seeming to me like the pass rush, the next pair, the next group of really, really good guys on this defense. Am I reading that right? Like, What should we be watching and looking for on this defense come week one? Yeah, I think, you know, in the last, even not just last year, four or five years, you've seen the outside linebackers be the most productive pass rushers and making a lot of plays for this defense, while the defensive line was kind of just asked, hey, take up some blocks and let those guys run free. Mm-hmm. There's still going to be a little bit of an element of that. You know, anytime you play a 3-4, that's really what you're asking your uh, defensive line to do so that your inside linebackers can make a lot of tackles. But I think this defensive line with the experience it has and the talent it has, you mentioned Rand and Loudermilk. Those are two very experienced guys who played a lot of games for the Badgers. And then at nose tackle, Keanu Benton, I've been watching a lot of tapes because I've been in quarantine and you know haven't been able to watch Badger football in a long <laughs> yeah. time. You watch what Keanu Benton did and the plays that he was able to make last year, really just based on power and strength. There was not a lot of technique in what he was doing. And that's not a knock on him. He's a true freshman. You know, he's, just coming off the high school field and being asked to move Big Ten defense or offensive guard. But he was able to do it mostly with bull rushes and just being more powerful than guys. I know that he's worked a lot with uh, Inoki Betterfield, the, uh, the Badgers defensive line coach, uh, about technique and using his hands a little bit more so he doesn't have to, you know, brute strength everybody out of the way uh, every play. But you mix in a little bit more technique and knowledge to a guy like that. And then you're talking about, your Kenny Clark types to compare it to a Badger, where there's a really disruptive force in the middle of the defense um, that can help out the rest of that linebacking crew where, you know, the the defensive lines in the secondary has a ton of talent and experience, but the linebacker crew is going to be a lot of younger guys shuffling in and out. Um, so they're going to need a little bit more help in both of those spots. 
Well, that's exciting. I, I enjoy that aspect of college football, getting to learn new names every year and seeing the progression of players, you know, even from a true freshman to, you know, a sophomore, a junior. I like watching that progression. Colton, before I let you go, I want some, I want some inside information here. I want you to really stick your neck out and give us a prediction. While watching practice, and I know you're only watching tape, um, and, and you've covered this offseason so far, is there one player at any given position whose name that we don't know yet, I don't know yet, the common fan doesn't know, but after a game or two, we're going to get to know very quickly. Like, who's going to be the surprise player that really jumps off and, and makes Badger fans go, wow? Uh, it's got to be Chamari BK, uh, the freshman wide receiver of Waukesha. Um, I mentioned that there's not a ton of depth at the wide receiver group right now, or at least, you know, known depth. Um, but he's already established himself in that top five group with the four seniors and him. Um, and I think just with his physical talent and the things that coaches and players are saying about him, He's going to be on the field fast, and he's going to make an impact. Um, just the the big thing that you hear about him a lot is the intelligence that he has, um, the the understanding of coverages and how defenses are kind of trying to attack an offense with their zone and other things like that, and knowing where to settle up on a route to make himself open. Things that are a little bit more advanced than you would think a guy 18 years old coming off a high school field. So uh, it's pretty impressive that he's turned this many heads and – I know Wisconsin's football uh, Twitter shared a big highlight of a deep pass from Mertz to him, and people were kind of losing their minds about it. But um, I do think that he's going to be one of those guys that, um, as you're watching the broadcast, the announcer's kind of going crazy, like, this guy's a freshman. How's he doing this? So yeah. I think that's the guy you got to watch out for. Well, awesome. I look forward to it, Colton, and I'm glad we were able to get connected today. I apologize for our technical issues yesterday. I'm glad we were able to hash this out and, and continue to get ready and preview Badgers football. I appreciate you coming on sometime this season. I'd love to have you back, Colton. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Yeah.